let's turn to Mark chapter 6 this morning, verses 30 through 44. Mark chapter 6, uh, verses 30 through 34. I'm going to read it together, and then when I conclude, um, let's say thanks be to God. It says this, Mark writes, The apostles returned to Jesus, and they told him that they had done and taught, all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the hour is late." Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and to the villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they had found out and they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This story is a well-known story. If, uh, if you've ever been to church or for, you know, if you've read the Bible at all, this is probably one of those stories in the Bible that you have read or heard. And it's the one miracle that actually found its way in all five, uh, four of the Gospels. And so it is unique in that way. Also, later in Mark, uh, there's another story where Jesus feeds another large crowd in in also a miraculous way. So last week we saw as Pastor Caleb uh, preached about Jesus sending out his disciples in groups of two, teams of two, to go out into his, uh, in, in behalf of his name and to minister in his name. And up to this point, they had been following him as disciples and that was an important step. They were willing to be identified with Jesus And that's a very important step in our discipleship in becoming a disciple of Jesus. But now they go beyond just identifying with Jesus publicly, but also uh, beginning to minister in Jesus' name, which is an even greater step in our discipleship. I can remember when I went to college and I began to accept the challenge to be publicly identified with Jesus. It began my freshman year in a, in a dorm that I lived in and my RA was leading a Bible study and I joined that Bible study and, and it, it became clear that I was one of those people, right, on my floor where I was, I was uh, going to a Bible study on my dorm floor. And it seems small, but for me, that was, it was a difficult thing in a way in college to be going, I'm going to be identified with Christ on this dorm floor. Later, I joined a, a campus ministry, and the director of the ministry wanted to start meeting with me one-on-one. And we would meet 
in the undergraduate library at the university I went to. And this was the place where everyone would gather to study, and not everyone, it was a huge university, but a lot of people. And I would see people that I had met in class. I would see girls that I had met in class. And I would be standing there with this incredibly old man. He was at least 32 years old, you know? <laughs> and we were studying the Bible publicly, you know? And it was this thing where I could just feel people looking at me and yet, it was an important part of my discipleship to say, I will be publicly identified with Jesus. And it was hard. I know that sounds silly. It was not some huge thing, but it was, it was a first step. And then later, Everett asked me, I want you to pray about leading a Bible study in your fraternity. I would like for you to step out and begin to lead a Bible study for the brothers in your house. And he sent me out with one other guy, two by twos. To, to begin to minister in Jesus' name. And then later, he asked me to meet with all the incoming freshmen, the, the, the guys that were joining the house, the, the guys that were pledging the house, and to sit them down as a group, me and this other brother, and, and, and share the gospel with them and how we came to faith in Jesus. I challenge you to do that. All these brand new freshmen, and we did. And so I can remember what that was like to go from First step of being publicly identified with Jesus, and second step, beginning to minister in his name. And that's, that's what these, these brothers, these disciples are doing, these apostles. And now they're returning from the first time ministering in Jesus' name. And after an interlude about the murder of John the Baptist in the, in the gospel, Mark tells us now what happens when they return from this missionary journey. And what we're going to see this morning is three things. First of all, the pattern the priority and the promise. The pattern, the priority, and the promise. First, we see the pattern. Work and rest. We just read this. I'm going to reread it. Jesus says, um, come away by yourselves with me to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And, and when I think desolate, that usually means like horrible, right? But what that means is a place of retreat that Jesus had sent them out in his name. And it was so busy, the coming and going of people, it says that they were unable to find time to eat. So they're, they're ministering in Jesus's name. And Jesus now wants to care for them and their souls. He cares for them physically because they've not eaten, and he cares for them spiritually, that they would rest and that they would be with him. And this story reiterates that God has given us a pattern to live by. It began in creation. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but on the seventh day, that day is to be a Sabbath unto your, your God. It's a day of rest. It's a gift. It's in the Ten Commandments. The Lord has given us this amazing gift. Work six days a week, really hard, and then take a day of rest. Work six, rest one. Even the apostles had need for rest, for sleep, to ultimately to be with Jesus. And I can sort of imagine what it would have been like. Jesus gathering around with a picnic with these, these brothers. Some are taking a nap, perhaps, and he's going around and speaking to them, though, and just saying, what was it like going out two by two, ministering in my name? What happened? What took place? Tell me the reports. There's a temptation for anyone whose vocation is to help people, right? If you're in the people business, to never stop working because needs never stop, right? 
People's needs never stop. So if you're in the if you are in a vocation that is about it's oriented towards helping people, there's a temptation to never stop. If you have the spiritual gift of helps or have a bent towards mercy and meeting the needs of others, there's a temptation and a temptation to never say no or to not at least to not say uh, or to say not right now. And to realize your own humanity, to set up some boundaries, and I think pastors are often most guilty of this. We are called to love, we're called to serve, we're called to sacrifice, but we see Jesus here caring for them that, that the disciples, these apostles, are not superhuman. They have physical needs, they have emotional needs, they have spiritual needs, and Jesus means to meet them. And I want you just to think about yourself. Where in your week are you going away to a desolate place? And you don't literally have to go out into the middle of the desert, but like where are you finding a quiet place to quiet your soul, to stop doing, and to focus on being? When does that take place for you? Where does that take place? You notice a physical place was important. Jesus is God. He could have created just a little shelter, like a bubble, just pop over them and, and just perfect peace and quiet, but he doesn't do that. Physical places matter even to Jesus. Let's go to a desolate place. Where is your place of rest? Where, what day, what time, where are you being filled up, focusing not just on doing, but on being who you are in Christ, whose you are? John 15, 4 famously says this. Jesus says this. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me, live in me, are rooted in me. And so often what I feel like is happening in many of our lives, and this is often true of me too, is we're, we have this offer to come be with the living God, and yet in our busyness we never stop. We never turn off the phone. We never turn off the noise and get away to be with our Lord. There is a pattern of work and rest, and Jesus is calling us into that rest but not this time. It gets interrupted. The second thing we see is this, is the priority, which is Jesus' compassion for lost sheep. In Mark 6, 34 through 35, we see this. He went ashore and he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on this great crowd because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. Their plan that day was to retreat from the crowds, obviously, to get to a desolate place. But the crowds saw them leave in the boat, and they booked it <laughs> as fast as they could. They kind of guessed where they were going. They knew the neighborhood. And they run over to this park or this place across the lake or the sea, and they get there ahead. And this is like the original paparazzi. I mean, they're all over it. And so when Jesus and the disciples arrive, the crowds have beaten them there by foot, and instead of enjoying this nice picnic and an afternoon of respite and uh, a break and a nap, uh, they arrive literally to a Coachella-sized uh, group or crowd. There are 5,000 men that Mark says. That alone is a huge crowd, but the, in their patriarchal society, they're only mentioning the men. There were women and there were children. This has got to be at least 10,000 people. We're probably thinking more 15 or more. Imagine you're just trying to get away in a mega church, like CCV shows up at the shore, right? I mean, it's like there's thousands and thousands of people there waiting. <laughs> 
pressing in with their needs. How will Jesus respond? I think I would have snapped. Like, can you just give us a day? I mean, just one afternoon for a picnic, please. But he doesn't. His goal and his desire is to have rest for the disciples. It really is. He really does want to minister to the 12, but he has compassion for people who are like sheep without a shepherd. And maybe you feel like that. And this is good news. Sheep without a shepherd are scattered, right? They've left the fold. They're isolated and they're vulnerable to predators. And because Jesus is truly the good shepherd, he has a heart for these people. And the people of Israel in this day were like sheep without a shepherd because the shepherds of Israel were doing a horrible job at caring for the people. And they'd become either too liberal on the one hand and and denying realities of God's existence and so forth, or they had become way too conservative like the Pharisees on the other hand and were horrible shepherds and leading them into just the yokes of slavery and bondage of the law instead of the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God. And these people were like sheep without a shepherd. They weren't atheists. They weren't unbelievers. They were faithful Jews, and yet they did not have a good shepherd. But Jesus is that good shepherd, and he means to show them that, and he loves them. And I want you to see Ezekiel 34 and how beautifully Jesus fulfills the prophet's words in Ezekiel 34. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, he seeks them out. So I will seek out my sheep. A sheep is plural, right? But it's also a singular. And that's good news for us sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I'll bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I'll bring them into their own land And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I'll feed them. I'll care for them. It makes me think of the 23rd Psalm. I'll lead them to green pastures. Look at how Jesus fulfills this prophecy. I will gather my sheep. I will shepherd them. I will feed them. I want you to see that the good shepherd has the same compassion for you and your needs, and I bet you have a difficult time believing that's true. The good shepherd cares for you as you feel like a scattered, lost sheep at times, as you feel lost, far from God, in a difficult place. God sees you, and he's calling you to rest in him, and he's calling you to himself. Scattered sheep, lost sheep. He cares for the sheep. And the third thing I want us to see this morning is this, is the promise of satisfaction. At the end of the day, as Jesus is finishing his teaching out of compassion, these disciples are still weary. They're like us. They're human. They're they're broken. They're selfish. They have exhaustion. And the disciples are getting concerned that it's the end of the day and that all these people are going to go hungry. And so they're getting anxious, and they're tired, and they're hungry themselves. They're hangry, right? And I would be totally reacting this way. Okay, Jesus, our little retreat, uh, it's gone overboard today. Uh, we, we're going to go on this little getaway ourselves and have some respite and some time away. This thing got totally ruined. We're five 
miles from the nearest in and out or any opportunity for food. And all we have to eat uh, is like just a little tiny basket. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. Okay, well, we have like a couple hundred bucks here and like the nearest Safeway is at least five miles again. Do I have to reiterate that? And Jesus says, how much bread do you have? Last night, feeling anxious after the wedding, th this place, Carson and I both uh, gathered around Amanda, our, our leader, and, and we said, Amanda, the hour is late and the chairs are not set up and we have church tomorrow. And she said, yes, but the people are dancing and frolicking in the sanctuary. We said, yes, but again, Amanda, the hour is late and people will leave. And she said, you set up the chairs. <laughs> no, not really. She, he, how much bread do you have? We have five loaves and two fish. That's meager for 12 of us, Jesus. Do the math. Like that's less than half a loaf of bread, even if they're big fish. This is not a lot of food for 12 people. And so Jesus had them sit down in groups in green grass out in this desolate place in groups of 50, in groups of 100. And this is evoking Old Testament imagery of how Jesus, God would gather the people, and he begins to feed them. It says, and I love this, he blessed, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and he gave the bread. And you're wrong if you think this is not meant to evoke in our minds the Lord's Supper. It absolutely is. In fact, in this whole section, Mark is arranging stories to show us that Jesus is the bread of life and the one who nourishes us over and again. And, and the Gospel of John does the same thing. He then handed out the bread and the fish to thousands of people and they ate and they ate. And afterwards, there are 12 baskets of bread and fish left over. You've heard this. 12. 12 is a big number in the Bible. 12 tribes of Israel. 12 disciples. The disciples are so worried about getting this done and administrating this, right? That, you know, Jesus, we can't possibly feed these people. And at the end, there's so much food left over that there are 12 full baskets of bread and fish. There's a big, huge basket for every single disciple left over. And it's almost like Jesus is again saying, you of little faith, look what I've done. I took this meager amount and now you each have your own basket of food. Get over yourselves. Mark tells us that they all ate, all 15,000 or so, and they were all satisfied, and this really is the point in all of this. The disciples want the crowds to go buy food for themselves. That's what I would want to do, too. Jesus, they got to go. They've got to go buy food. they got to get out of here. we got to organize ourselves. we got to figure out our dinner plans. But Jesus is going to provide them with food that no money can buy. They, they, the disciples want them to go buy themselves food, go to the grocery, go get their own food, but Jesus is going to give them the food that no money can buy. 
Now, annoyingly, some people have said that the miracle here is not the miracle that we think it is, that instead, that this large crowd had gathered and, and Jesus asked the disciples, now, how much do you guys have? Well, we got five loaves. And then the disciples turned to the other people around them and said, hey, how much food do you have? Let's start sharing. And then the disciples' examples of sharing, everyone just started pitching in. And next thing you know, there's so much food that there are 12 baskets left over. But that's not what Mark means to imply. That would be wonderful and it'd be a neat story of like, look at human compassion and what we can do and we all share together. But that's not the point of the story. There are five loaves of bread and a couple fish and Jesus miraculously turns it into a meal enough for thousands. It's a real miracle. And I think it's a huge disservice when we just try to explain it away. Well, I mean, it could have happened. Well, no, it, it couldn't. It's a miracle. That's what a miracle is. Don't get me started. It's like Jonah, and people are like, oh, Jonah, like, let me prove to you that a, a man can live in, the, in, a, in a fish. No, you can't. You die. Like, but that's the whole point. It's a miracle. God does miracles, you know, and people raise from the dead and stuff. Five loaves, two fish, thousands of people are full, satisfied, and there are 12 baskets left over. Satisfied. John 6, 35 says this reflecting on the same story, like a day later. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not go hungry, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the point. It's the point of Ezekiel. It's the point of the whole Old Testament. It's the point of the New Testament. that Jesus has come to fill us, to nourish us. He fed us once, this crowd once, but Jesus says in John, yeah, but that's nothing. I've got bread so that you'll never go hungry. And they said, Lord, give us that bread. And that's why Jesus came. There's a pastor in California named John Ortberg, um, and he wrote a book a long time ago called Dangers, Toils, and Snares. And I've read this story before, but it's so good. And he's talking about how, like 20 or 30 years ago, he would take his kids to McDonald's for a happy meal, and he wrote about it, and he said this, we take our children to the shrine of the golden arches, and they always lust for the meal that comes with a cheap little prize, a combination christened in a moment of marketing Jesus, or genius, the happy meal. You're not just buying fries, McNuggets, and a dinosaur, you're buying happiness, Right? Their advertisements have convinced my children that they have a little McDonald-shaped vacuum or hole in their souls. Our hearts are restless till they find the rest in a Happy Meal. I try to buy them off sometimes. I tell them to order only the food and I'll give you some money to buy a toy later. But the cry goes up, I want a Happy Meal. And all over the restaurant, people crane their necks to look at the tight-fisted, penny-pinching cheapskate of a parent who would deny a child the meal of great joy. And the problem, though, with the Happy Meal is that the happy wears off, and they need a new fix. No child discovers lasting happiness in just one. Remember that one Happy Meal? What great joy I found there. <laughs> happy Meals bring happiness only to McDonald's. You ever wonder why Ronald McDonald wears that grin? 20 billion Happy Meals, that's why. And then he says this. And this is, this is the point. When you get older, you don't get any smarter. Your Happy Meals just get more expensive. This is what we're doing. 
we're going and trying to be nourished in stuff that doesn't nourish, that doesn't fill, that doesn't make us full. But we try and we try and we try and we drink at broken cisterns in, in brackish, salty water instead of pure, clean water. And we eat food that is not food. We literally do this as a society. But we, we are eating stuff that doesn't satisfy. And we expect it to. And we live like orphans instead of the children of God. We are looking for love in all the wrong places. And Jesus is coming and saying, I alone can fill you. But we search and we look and we search and we search for anything else to fill us up. But it never works. I remember, um, and I've told you this story before too, but I had this friend Aaron in high school. And Aaron grew up in Vietnam and uh, as a young man, uh, like three or four, he and his younger brother were adopted uh, by a family in our, in our small town of Danville, Kentucky. And uh, his father was a physician and very successful. And, and they had this beautiful home. And they came out of the slums of Vietnam and brought into this new home, this new place. And their parents later in high school told me the story of how when they were first brought over from Vietnam for the first several months, they would find them out in the back of the house in the trash digging for food and eating the food out of the trash. But meanwhile, they lived in this amazing home with a mother that was cooking meal after meal and, and, and filling their refrigerator full for them, and a father that was providing more than you can imagine, but they were still eating out of the dumpster in the back. And friends, that's exactly what we're doing. We have a father that has loved us, that has adopted us, that has called us into his family. And, and we're no longer orphaned, no longer left alone. But they still felt like they were orphaned. But they weren't. They were the children of God. They are the children of Dr. Ramey. You're not an orphan any longer. And you keep looking for all these things to satisfy you, fill you up, the happy meal. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It never works. But Jesus comes and he says, I am that satisfaction. Isaiah 55, 2 was our call to worship this morning. And it says this, Isaiah 55, 2 says, Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? And why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Jesus is better. Jesus alone can fill us. Why do we look to other things to satisfy when they never can? Let's pray.